Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we're going to look at last night's Hamilton City Council meeting. Hamilton has decided to partner with the Hamilton 100 Group in order to bid on hosting the 2030 Commonwealth Games. The city also is going to be hiring a consultant to weigh in on the proposed hate mitigation policies and to help with community consultation. And the city says they are going to be inspecting all the overhead signs on the Link and the Red Hill following a report that dates back as far as 2012 that said repairs needed to be done. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. One of the other issues that was uh, going on at City Hall yesterday, and this is ongoing and has been for some time right now, uh, the city has decided to partner with the Hamilton 100 Group uh, that, of course, wants to uh, bring the uh, 100th anniversary of the Commonwealth Games, the 2030 Commonwealth Games, back to Hamilton. Uh, P.J. Mercani, the CEO of Carmen's Group, of course, is uh, also the chair of the uh, Hamilton 100 bid, uh, joining us here in studio. First of all, thanks for coming in. Good to see you. No, thank you, Bill. You're a busy guy. It's hard to get you actually physically inside the building here, but I'm glad you could do this. Absolutely. Uh, let, let's maybe get right to the nitty-gritty here about this. Uh, I, I know that some people are saying, well, is this a partnership? Is the city committed? to this. Uh, what you got yesterday, as I understand it, was a memo- memorandum of understanding? Correct. Okay, now what does that entail? So this essentially, the memor- memor- memorandum of understanding uh, outlines the relationship between our Hamilton 100, uh, you know, not-for-profit organization and the city of Hamilton. And, and we wanted to, it's important that we engaged with the city in a collaborative manner around around this pursuit and and ins- you know ensured that they have the peace of mind and confidence to know that at this point in the process that there's no um, financial implications no no legal repercussions that Hamilton 100 is going to you know going to uh, you know front the the costs uh, thus far and uh, but work collaboratively with the city with tourism with with ECTEV, uh, with the mayor's office, and so it was important that we had a document, um, you know, forged to essentially spell out these uh, these simple terms. And 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 at the end of the day, we we wanted to make sure that uh, that the city was comfortable with with what we're doing. And what. What did you get? Did you get a, a, a feeling for that yesterday at the meeting? We did, and and you know we were certainly pleased with Councillor Clark's comments that uh, that it was one of the best MOUs that he had you know that he had uh, read, and uh, and we wanted to you know I know tourism uh, carry and and you know worked closely with uh, with with. Um, with uh, Jasper from our team and making sure that it was uh, that it was um, you know well structured, well organized, and so I think they were very they felt comfortable with that, and uh, and it was you know unanimously received. So so you know we're delighted that um, that this is now the third uh, consecutive time that council has voted unanimously around our Commonwealth Games pursuits, and and we certainly intend to you know as the process continues to unfold um, that that you know that they feel confidence in. Uh, in, in you know, in where we're going, and and we want to do the city proud. At the end of the day, you know, this is a tremendous opportunity uh, to to have the games come home for its 100th anniversary, and to bring with it a uh, you know a, an entire you know um, uh, you know plethora of of benefits for the community. Uh, and so we you know we certainly intend over the course of the next little while to to develop the business plan, the venues plan, and to show all of the amazing benefits that the games could bring. 
What are you looking for from the city at this point? I, I understand this is a process and it's going to evolve and there's going to be different things needed later down the road here. But right now, what do you see from the city? Uh, there, you know, they've got amazing staff resources at City Hall and and important ones for you know this uh, this part of the process. So you know, it's important that we have dialogue with the city and engage them. Uh, and we've shared with the city, however much or however little you want to participate, we're you know we're willing to accept and to take. So it's important that uh, that they are at the table in a lot of these discussions, and they have been. Uh, you know, when we had the the um, the executives from the Commonwealth Games Federation visit Hamilton two weeks ago, the city was there every step of the way. So there were representatives from you know from uh, you know finance, from tourism. From ECDEV, uh, from you know the the facilities teams uh, present at various you know meetings and uh, touch point events, and so city participation and 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 giving the city the courtesy of of being dialed in with everything that's happening. It's important that they're aware of of you know the direction that we're heading in, and that they have an opportunity to provide input and and around facilities and and what could be done at certain facilities. It's important that their expertise uh, is at the table. You know, we were at Tim Hortons Field, uh, and and I heard that video presentation went very well. It was outstanding, and and the Commonwealth Games Federation were very impressed with the state of the facility, with what the city and the Ticats are doing to engage the community at that at that um, at that facility. But you know, Rob Gatto from the city was there, and you know, and was part of the tour and part of that process, and and having him there certainly gave you know gave um, gave us credibility that we're aligned you know and so at this point being aligned with the city and and you know having us all um, you know swimming in the same direction is 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 important and, and that's what we want at this point we want the city to 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 know that they're a valued partner in this in this process in this exercise and that that you know at the end of the day we're all in it together for the greater good of Hamilton and and so obviously having their expertise at the table is is important I know some of the members of your executive. I've had numerous discussions with them. Uh, We don't know all of them. At some point, obviously, we'll find that out. But we just know that these are all dedicated community members who are, as you mentioned, swimming in the same direction in a situation like this. Uh, have you done any blue skying about exactly what this is going to look like? And I know this is early days. Sure. But, uh, for instance, we know back the British Empire Games, which was the original mm-hmm. Commonwealth Games, uh, which were held here in Hamilton, uh, we got a stadium out of it, which sure. we called Civic Stadium for the longest time. We got a pool out of it, the Jimmy Thompson Pool, and, and other facilities that still are, are around the area right now. Mm-hmm. What do you envision? And, and I understand that this is still a, a moving target, but what do you envision seeing here in the way of infrastructure? So in the way of infrastructure, we certainly see opportunity for, you know, new and or renovated facilities across the city. Uh, You know, obviously, you know, looking at some of the partners that are at the table, McMaster University is very, um, you know, excited about the prospect of a new pool. Their pool is very dated um, and and they're, you know, they're going to do a new pool with or without Commonwealth Games. So, so, you know, so, so having them, you know, a new pool there makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of talk recently about uh, about an arena, and and so there certainly could be an opportunity uh, to to you know to um, you know piggyback around Commonwealth to to get funding for a new and or renovated arena, um, and and you know Sport Hamilton and and other institutions are looking at a multi-sport complex uh, built somewhere in Hamilton. And so a new multi-sport facility, uh, you know, could be could be you know a part of that master plan. Uh, in addition to renovations and enhancements to other facilities, you know, 
the Dave Andrichuk Arena uh, could be, you know, could be on the table for some enhancements. Sherlock Twin Pad Arena, uh, uh, First Ontario Concert Hall, Hamilton Place, you know, that venue could be great for weightlifting and and through Commonwealth Games, it could get um, get a facelift, you know, you, but but falling, you know, the funding falling under the Commonwealth model. So those are examples of a few different uh, different venues that that uh, that could you know could be renovated or or built new. Um, in addition to refurbishments, in ten years from now, Tim Hortons Field may be due for for you know for some some you know modest um, enhancements and um, and capital upgrades and and you know those could come through Commonwealth Games. So so there's a lot of benefit infrastructure wise to these uh, you know to the sports facilities. But beyond that, and I think a bigger potential opportunity for the city is looking at the games as a as a catalyst to to solving the affordable housing problem in in Hamilton. And when you look at all of the Olympic, Pan Am, and previous Commonwealth Games, affordable housing units have been a part of the strategy. And 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 that you know the the affordable housing funding uh, is it comes usually separate from the typical games funding. But when you look at Pan Am, for example, Pan Am, um, you know, which took place the last one in, in the city of Toronto, uh, it's it's resulted in an $800 million uh, new housing complex that uh, obviously benefited that community greatly. Which, so, which was used as you know, a student or the athletes at the time. Absolutely. But obviously when they leave, the building's still there. You got it. And and the, the so, so between new sport infrastructure that could be then used for many community purposes, new affordable housing infrastructure, coupled with that and tangential to that is all of the other development infrastructure that could, that could emerge out of that uh, additional commercial, uh, additional hotels, um, additional, you know, retail. Um, and, um, you know, if, if Hamilton is, is blessed to host the 2030 Commonwealth Games, uh, you know, there could be additional resources available uh, for things like LRT, etc. So, so the infrastructure uh, opportunities could be unprecedented, anything, um, you know, like, unlike anything that has ever happened uh, in Hamilton. So, so these are certainly things that, that would be important to look at and in, in, in figuring out how can we maximize uh, and utilize the games for, for Hamilton's greatest good. Now, we haven't talked money yet, uh, and you haven't talked money with the city yet. Uh, that discussion is going to have to happen if the city wants to go through and, and be a partner in this at some point. Uh, but as, as this process is unfolding, though, PJ, are, are you working under the assumption that both the federal and provincial governments are going to be on side here? And I mean, from a financial standpoint, we certainly are, and and we've we've certainly had very positive indications that um, that you know government support uh, you know should be available. Uh, you know, members of the federal government were part of our part of our visit, uh, part of the Commonwealth Games Federation visit uh, two weeks ago, and Sport Canada has a new funding formula where they will give potentially up to fifty percent. And in some cases, more than 50%, uh, you know, for, you know, for international games. Uh, and, and so that's where the, the financing and funding formula is a bit different, where it used to be a third, a third, a third, a third, the feds, a third, the province, a third, the, uh, you know, the municipality. Mm-hmm. And so now if the federal government is potentially, potentially um, in for 50, maybe even 55 and 60%, not obviously I can't speak uh, for the federal government, but if, but if that type of funding formula is in place, then the onus on the province and the municipality is a lot lighter. And, and obviously we, you know, we understand that 
there is a conservative government uh, provincially, and and you know that they're very focused on on prudent uh, you know spending of their sure. dollars. And so we want to ensure that that the provincial government mandates could be achieved through the Commonwealth Games. And what does that mean? Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the province of Ontario is focused on open for business, and and there certainly is an opportunity to util- use the games as a means of getting that message out there, and 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 leveraging the games for things like foreign direct investment in Ontario and other forms of business growth in Ontario. Trade with the Commonwealth of Nations in Canada represents over forty billion dollars a year worth of trade, and some of our you know some of our um, you know private sector and 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 Hamilton one hundred partners. Want Want to leverage the games for the you know for the purpose of trade and investment in Ontario and specifically in Hamilton, uh, and so this is where when we have the conversations with the provincial government, we're going to try to speak their language around around investment in, in in trade, but also look at you know the the amazing social benefits that can come from the games, things like um, you know investment in in physical health and mental health and using sport as a, as a means of achieving that, looking at various you know social benefits that can come. Through to various stakeholder groups in the community, and, ha- and, and if the province can can be a part of that, then that would be absolutely outstanding. Uh, it's it's interesting to see this this whole thing unfolding here, and 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 to see just who is going to be participating in this. And I, I get your point because traditionally the federal and provincial governments have always uh, done that, but they obviously get further on down the process until they actually determine who's going to get the bid. Uh, I know your your group, that is, PJ, are keeping your cards pretty close to your chest right now. But have you heard, even anecdotally, about any other Canadian cities that are interested in this? Uh, so, Who, who's, in other words, who's our competition? For or sure. is there any? And 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 right now, I know that uh, you know um, Commonwealth Games Canada is looking at. Uh, potential cities uh, for either 2026 or 2030 and with the World Cup taking place in North America and specifically in Canada in 2026 there hasn't been a lot of chatter uh, around any Commonwealth Games um, activities in 2026 and and you know while I certainly can't speak on behalf of other cities uh, I think that the momentum that is building in Hamilton has has um, you know I, I think cooled off other cities momentum and and one example that I can share around that is when the federation executives traveled, um, you know, from 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 you know Europe uh, to come to to Canada, they also requested to meet to see if executives from uh, two other cities. Um, who I don't know if they want to be public yet, but the Commonwealth Games Federation reached out to two other Canadian cities, and both of them declined the visit from the federation. So that certainly was uh, was a good sign for us and a good indicator that that um, you know that Hamilton is is uh, certainly in a very favorable position at this point and 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 if you know and if I was another city and I was looking at Hamilton I would say wow Hamilton really does have an incredible uh, movement taking place you know we were fortunate to have uh, post secondary institutions like McMaster, Mohawk and Redeemer at the table sport institutions like Sport Hamilton uh, and, you know, the local cricket association and other local sports groups at the table, as well as the private sector uh, and many private sector partners and the city. So, so we're, we're really, uh, you, know, div- you know, forming a movement here um, and, and, uh, and it's going to be, it's, 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 you know, 
continuing to de- you know develop into one powerhouse of a team. So so it's going to be tough. Got about a minute left. <clears throat> Excuse me, about a minute left here. Uh, my understanding is you're back before council in November. Correct. What are we going to see then? So in November, uh, for the November 6th meeting, we want to share with the city our venues plan. So an idea of what would the games look like venue-wise? How would we actually pull off the games with venues? As well as a business case. As well as you know a, a financial model uh, of how we are going to, to, to maximize uh, federal and provincial dollars to for the benefit of benefit of this community above uh, benefit of Hamilton and and show the the city that there will be a tremendous ROI for the city that this will be an amazing net economic benefit for the city of Hamilton for the constituent groups and stakeholders of Hamilton and ultimately that you know that the games could be a catalyst to transform this city forever and propel us to another level uh, that is that is you know unlike anything that we've uh, yet experienced well as I say I've talked to folks like Greg Maychak who's retired from the city now but I know he's still with your committee and and sees uh, Cecilia Carter Smith and so many others uh, and there's there's an excitement here and a real buzz and it's starting to catch on in the community so uh, we look forward we'll stay in touch with you as this no. unfolds over the next little thank while thank you bill pj mercanny from the hamilton 100 group you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml as we mentioned uh, off the top of the show today it was a busy day at city hall with a number of things uh, discussed at the general issues committee uh including uh pj mercanny and his group the hamilton 100 group and uh i'm glad we were able to get him on here and get some clarification as to what's going on I- i'm getting mixed reaction from a lot of uh, folks on social media about this uh, and there are still those voices and those opinions that say this is not worth doing, you know, we can be doing something different and, or nothing at all, I guess. Uh, and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But, uh, the, the, you know, the games are going to happen someplace. And uh, it makes all kinds of sense, I think, for an awful lot of people to have the 100th anniversary of the games right here in Hamilton, where the game started uh, so many years ago. And there are huge economic benefits to this. And I understand that a lot of people are drawing the analogy between this potential bid and the Pan Am games from a few years ago. But let's keep in mind that Toronto was the center of that, and, and Toronto did benefit from a, an economic standpoint and from a, an infrastructure standpoint. Uh, Hamilton got a stadium out of it, but, I mean, there, there could have been, had we been the center of this, uh, much more. But let's wait till November and get some of the details about this, and then we'll go from there. One of the other issues, very controversial issues, that was talked about at Hamilton City Hall, and I, I'm sure will be for uh, days and weeks, if not months, to come now, is the uh, no hate in the hammer uh, movement that's going on. And, of course, the uh, uh, displays of, uh, well, some people would just characterize it as nothing more than hatred uh, that have been going on in front of Hamilton City Hall over the last couple of Saturdays. Uh, City decided yesterday to hire a consultant to weigh in on the proposed hate mitigation policies and to help with community consultation. Uh, City Councilor Brad Clark was, uh, of course, one of the people that supported that. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, give us an explanation as to what they're looking for. Brad, good morning. Thanks so much for the time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, you've been intricately involved in this. You've attended uh, some of the anti-hate rallies at Hamilton City Hall. Uh, and, and talk to us, Brad, about how you see this as, as moving forward and how this is actually going to help to combat some of the, the anger and some of the frustration and some of the hate, frankly, that we've seen lately. Well, for uh, the city staff and the council to consider policies uh, with regards to how we deal with, with hate uh, in the forecourt and on municipal properties. Um, I think we all agreed around the council table that it was important for us to do some initial consultations uh, with residents so that we can truly understand and and see through their perspective what they have been experiencing. Just because you and I, Bill, we're not experiencing hate or racism 
uh, in our lives does not extrapolate to others who are experiencing race and hatred. So we need to hear from those folks. But we also need to hear from some some experts who actually understand um, the alt-right movement, the white supremacist movement, and and how a municipality can actually modify policies and bylaws to actually help protect people uh, from that type of discrimination. Now, who's actually going to be doing this? Because I know there was some discussion around this, and I know you had some concerns about who actually might be hired on this, uh, whether it's going to be an outside group, somebody from inside here that knows the city and maybe knows uh, some of the background as to what's been going on here right now. What, what are you looking for as a council? Um, my, my, my preference was to have someone who, who understands um, the issue of the rise of, of hatred uh, in North America and across the world um, also has a good understanding and experience with um, community consultations and, and that type of work. Um, I, I prefaced my comments with the caveat that I, I just don't want us to hire a public relations firm to get us through this process. We really want to get some facts uh, and actually have someone who understands what's going on in the broader concept, uh, in the broader society, and how that would help us in the city of Hamilton. And I suggested that we reach out to McMaster University because they uh, they have a diversity office there. They have many professors who are well-experienced and versed in it, and also well-experienced and versed in community um, um, consultations. Uh, and I mentioned uh, Emil Joseph as someone that, that I'm familiar with who is who's done a lot of this work. Whether or not Emil is the person that actually does the consultation or we ask him for his input on how we do the consultation, either way I think would benefit the city of Hamilton moving forward. And the city manager seemed to embrace that, that idea. So the city manager is the one that ultimately is making these decisions. Uh, and is the city manager's office the one that's actually going to decide just what the next step is now that you've given them the direction? Yes. Yes, it's it's her job to to bring this uh, back to council with the the next step on the consultation and how it's going to roll out. Just in case council has any further suggestions, and then we move it out. So um, we understand it's taking a little bit longer, uh, but we're confident that we have moved a few motions that that clearly uh, puts the line in the sand that we're not going to tolerate this type of behavior and and. You're familiar with those motions, mm-hmm. uh, and and we're making a very public stance uh, against hate and standing with the community. All of that being said, here's some other things that we want to look at, and here's the consultation. Then it'll come back with some policies for us that finds the right balance between freedom of assembly and freedom of expression, but recognizing that, that we can't allow... Um, the incidents of hate and violence that have been occurring on our public property. Now, yesterday at the meeting, uh, the city manager, Jenna Smith, uh, said that the ideal candidate would be somebody who is an expert in both hate mitigation and fostering community response. Is there a long list of people that go to for something like that? That's, that's, that's a pretty specific uh, set of values there. And, and, and again, to you, and I, I agree with my, your analogy of this, too. Uh, you don't want a PR group at this stage, but you don't want somebody who's going to put a, a spin on this or a gloss on this. I mean, you want somebody who's going to deal with these problems. It has to be legitimate, authentic consultation. Otherwise, we're, we're going to lose any trust that we're building up in the community, and we're going to lose credibility. 
Um, we want to make sure that what we're doing and what we receive from the consultation has true value and it helps to inform our decisions moving forward. So to your earlier question, I suspect it is a narrow scope of people that could do that work from both sides, but I am aware that there are some people uh, in the Hamilton area uh, that could do that, um, and I think most people would, would hope that we have someone that truly understands Hamilton and understands uh, what's been happening here to, to guide us through the next step. Brad, you've been around in politics and public life for a long time now. I, I, one of the questions that I, I think needs to be asked here is, how did we get to this point? Well, that's a million-dollar question, Bill. Yeah. Um, I, my personal opinion is that uh, it really seemed to begin to percolate in the broader community uh, after uh, President Trump was elected and started to really push the envelope in terms of what is the normal statesmanlike comments from a president. And as a result, I think in many respects, um, people who had the, this inclination that they, they were racist or they, they didn't like certain people or they were xenophobic uh, felt somehow empowered and, and justified in them speaking up and making statements because after all, the President of the United States, most powerful man in the world, is making those statements. And so I, I really do believe sincerely that that was probably the impetus that started this I've lived in Hamilton my entire life. It is a caring, compassionate, charitable, and accepting community. The vast majority of residents are appalled by what is going on. Most people weren't even aware that there were incidents of racism happening in the community because they're not experiencing it. Uh, but now that they're aware of it, um, people would want us to do what we can to, to stem this tide. And, and and that's the broader picture, and you're absolutely right. I guess, uh, you know, obviously you're concerned with what's happening in your own community, but this is this is a worldwide issue. It's not just a Hamilton issue. Uh, it is. I, I mean, you don't have to be a political junkie to understand that these issues have, have been percolating in Europe for the last decade. France has had some real challenges with anti-Semitism and, and, and horrific violence against Jewish people uh, on the streets of France. Uh, and it has has spread throughout Europe, and and of course, Mr. Trump did his thing, and we're seeing a rise. I mean, the anti-hate network is saying, you know, there's been a 30 percent increase uh, over the last decade of uh, white uh, white supremacist uh, hate groups being formed and, and organized. That's a concern. Now, they may not be multiples of numbers. We know they exist, and we know that they're trying to expand their numbers, and and they're not afraid of of, of being aggressive uh, in their beliefs. And I think that's a real challenge, and that's where we have to wrestle with that balance of freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, but we can't allow people to spread hatred against identifiable groups. We can't allow people to be violent against identifiable groups, and and I think that the police departments are learning more and more about what hate crimes they can. Um, uh, convict on, and, and they're beginning to act, and we're seeing it right across the province. We saw a lady charged yesterday with assault after she spit on, on someone after making racist, racial slurs at him, and it's all over the Twitterverse. But this is happening right across uh, the country, um, but it's not the majority, and we need to keep stressing that. 
the majority of Canadians are accepting, caring people just like in Hamilton. Well, and added to that toxic mix, of course, of hatred is is the the idea that social media, as you just mentioned, has taken off, and that gives these voices a platform, whereas in the past that wasn't necessarily available to them. And it gives them a platform that is anonymous. Um, many of these these individuals who uh, are spewing some ridiculous statements and 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 on the internet are are completely anonymous. No one knows who they are. Uh, but it is interesting now that Facebook and and Twitter are looking at their accounts and they're canceling accounts now where it's very clear that these people are inciting violence and hatred against identifiable groups. So there's that concept that that's happening also. Uh, but you're absolutely correct. I think the social media world, while it's fantastic in terms of spreading the message um, and spreading positive messages, it can be equally uh, impressive by spreading negative and hateful messages, and, and we've seen that happen. Uh, back to the Hamilton circumstance, though, if, if we could, because obviously that's the one that, we, that you guys are going to be dealing with, what's going to happen right here. Uh, I, I, I agree with your assessment. As a lifetime Hamiltonian, I, I, I love this city and I love the people in this city, and, and yes, there's always going to be people on the fringes uh, with these radical views, and they've always been there, I suppose. Uh, but when you get a report such as the one that was released a week or two ago, Brad, that suggested that Hamilton has more incidences of reported hate crimes than any other community. Uh, that's not the Hamilton I thought I knew, and, and it's it's a reality. You know, I know some of your colleagues tried to disagree with that yesterday with some of their comments and say that's not representative. It probably I, I like to think it's not, but it's out there, and, and it's a black mark on Hamilton's reputation. How does council deal with that? Yeah, uh, well, I, w- I would agree that it's not representative of the city of Hamilton as a whole, the residents as a whole, but the fact that it's happening and the fact that it is increasing... Uh, is, a, quite simply, it's a fact that we cannot ignore. I mean, the increase in hate incidents, the increase in hate crimes, um, uh, and Hamilton being the number one, which is not something we, we, we want to brag about, um, it, it, it's a clarion call. It's the canary in the, goal, in the coal mine saying, hey, folks, wake up, there's an issue here. And, and, and I think that's what the community has been telling us, and I think that the politicians in the city from all levels of government are now waking up to this and they're realizing that this is a a real challenge and so we have to work with the broader community to educate people about what the hate is and 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 what's transpiring help educate people how to how can they help someone if they see someone being a victim of 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 um, a hate incident or a racist incident what can they do to help that person? You know, how can they step into that and, and de-escalate the situation and let the victim know that they're not alone? Those are things that, that a municipality can help do that really will help our city grow. But I'm with you. We can't ignore it, it and, and, and we have to do everything we can uh, to mitigate it and, uh, in the long term, abate future incidents. One of the things that I've heard, and I'm sure you have over the last couple of months now, Brad, is is about the incidents of uh, these sorts of crimes and these sorts of, and many of them, of course, go unreported. But you know, if you talk to members of the Jewish community or, or the Muslim community, the Black community, the LGBTQ community, they're, they're telling us now that guys, this has been going on all the time. Uh, you just haven't been paying attention. And and now I think the light has been shone on this, and it's it's obviously incumbent upon not just council, but I think the whole community to do something like that. But when you hear those sorts of comments from some of those groups that have been impacted and 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 frankly victimized by this, uh, do we have a communication problem here where we're not talking to each other in this community? I would hope that we don't, um, 
but it, it, it does beg the question why um, incidents of, of racism and incidents of hate are not being reported or is not being tracked. And that's why uh, I'm advocating and encouraging that the rebooting of the Hamilton Anti-Racism Resource Center is pivotal to this for the city of Hamilton. If we can get HARC, the Resource Center, rebooted, and we can have people who are willing to talk to people who come in and have actually experienced uh, incidents of race, racism and hatred, and, and we can provide some advice to them, but we're going to start tracking that information anonymously, and we have an online reporting system, and we can track it anonymously and, again, provide uh, referrals and advice to them. Then annually, we can give a report in terms of here's all of the incidents of hate, here's all of the incidents of actual hate crimes, and we can start to educate the broader community that although we're not experiencing it personally, our Jewish friends, our Muslim friends, our Sikh friends, uh, our, our black friends, they're all experiencing this. The LGBTQ community is, is definitely been experiencing this. And so we educate ourselves as this is happening, and I think people will start to realize, okay, so what can we do to help? And, and, and that's the question that comes out of it. And then we start to modify programs and do more public education to, to abate it so that it, it stops, so that people understand we're in this together. Our city of Hamilton will succeed if we all succeed together. And diversity is a part of our city. And so we just have to work together through this process. Got a minute or so left here, Brad, and I appreciate your time on this one. Uh, One of the most troubling aspects of this, as as far as I can see over the last little while, is when I hear from these communities, from the LGBTQ community, especially after what happened during Pride Week, or the Jewish community or Muslims or blacks or some of the other victimized communities, uh, they're saying that, look, there's been a broken trust here. They don't trust counsel. uh, They don't trust police. uh, They don't trust their greater community to be there for them. How do you build that bridge again? It starts with dialogue, um, and, and, and true dialogue. And by that, I mean not talking at the marginalized groups, not talking at the victimized groups, but listening to them, understanding exactly what they're saying, and not being dismissive, and listening to, to not just listening, but hearing what they're saying, and understanding it, and then working on, on ways to abate it in, in the future. We have to open that dialogue between the police department and, and these communities and between council and these communities. I know we're doing it on our consultation on the Hamilton Anti-Resource, Anti-Racism Resource Center. We're being um, very proactive in that consultation. I expect that the consultation that the city manager is going to be doing will be very proactive, and it will begin that dialogue. But that dialogue has to continue, and we have to be willing to hear from people in terms of whether or not they feel we're doing enough or we're being successful. City Council Brad Clark. Brad, I know we pulled you out of a meeting for this. I really do appreciate the time. I'll let you get back to work, and uh, we'll talk about this soon. Take care. Thank you. Take care, Bill. That's uh, City Council Brad Clark. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, another story that uh, they uh, discussed at Hamilton City Hall yesterday during the General Issues Committee uh, had to do with a story that we told you about last week, about a uh, report that talked about, and I'll use the quote that was in the story, urgent overhead repair work that needed to be done on the overhead signs on the link. Uh, this report was a couple of years old. Most counselors were not aware of this. I don't think any of them were actually were aware of this. But uh, they did get a discussion about exactly what this was yesterday and uh, the severity of the work that needed to be done. Counselor Terry Whitehead uh, had some questions of city staff at that time. He's joining us right now on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, shed some light on this. Terry, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us again. 
Great to be with you. Now, we when we talked about this story last week, the reporting that we were citing at that time, Terry, suggested that this was uh, yet another report uh, that suggests that there was work that needed to be done. Now, I've seen, I've heard a couple of different things here that nobody on council knew that this report existed. Uh, others have said, yeah, it was there and it was left to staff to do the work. Exactly what was going on and what has happened here? Yeah, so i got to be careful I don't get into some of the in-camera conversation, but there are two reports. We have public, put them, made them public now. Uh, and it wasn't uh, uh, something that was... Um, um, dire straits of uh, safety, but there were issues that were raised that needed uh, to be uh, um, acted on in regards to uh, uh, maintenance and, and, and fixes. So there's a report in 2012 and there's a report in 2017. Uh, the, uh, obviously, clearly, there was a, uh, a press release without uh, uh, indicating that they're urgently doing work on Link and they temporarily closed. It was raised a lot of eyebrows of what was going on. And that's where a lot of inquiries started coming in. And it's pretty clear that the, the consultant reports were acted on in the context of uh, 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 putting money aside for these maintenance issues that were identified as a result of the consultant report. So the, the, the work was identified, but the work was the work ever done? So was the capital plan in regards to the, the, the dollars to actually do the work. But was the work actually completed? Well, it is now. It is now, but it wasn't at the time. Uh, correct. So, so, and again, we're just trying to get some clarity here. So there were two reports, as you've just mentioned, from some years ago right now that identified work that was done, uh, yet the work wasn't done until now, some some four or five years later, depending on well, which I one of the reports. The, 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 yeah, I'm not sure of the timing, uh, because the reports say, like, within two years, uh, the size will have to be replaced or this. So I mean, you need to understand the nature of the, 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 uh, uh, the report and the timing of that those maintenance schedules. So... That isn't absolutely clear, I think, uh, but the reports are public, so I think people can ascertain their own uh, 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 conclusions to that. So the reality is, is that money was set aside to do the work. Uh, my understanding, uh, I, I'm not absolutely clear whether works were done uh, since the 2017 report, but we certainly know uh, uh, this year there was a, 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 as far as I know, all the work has been completed. But there, it, is it fair to say, though, that the work was not done at the time of the reports? As, as, and did council actually deal with this at that time? Yeah, so again, a lot of, a lot of times the consultant report comes in, uh, identifies uh, um, issues, and the staff uh, implement a, a maintenance plan or schedule or a capital sheet. The capital sheet is filled out, uh, uh, and then the dollars are allocated, and it's just a matter of uh, uh, scheduling the works. So my understanding, as I understand it, a lot of that was done. So I, I get that, that it's done now. But uh, was the word urgent used in the reports? Uh, well, I think there's time frames uh, uh, painted in the report in 2017, for example. I think it became, uh, it, it started suggesting uh, some, some of the uh, locations should uh, be attended within, you know, more uh, urgently, yes. So that, that was in there. Well, that, 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 the use of that word, Terry, I, I think d- does conjure up this idea that there's a safety risk here. Yeah, and you know when I, I we talked to staff and asked the, the questions, there wasn't in, in, imminent danger of any kind. Certainly, that's the indication uh, that we're uh, uh, we're getting from staff. But I mean, when they say urgent, they're just saying you got we need to get into these areas in a timely fashion. But the, here's the concern, though. 
I, I understand that, and I know that some of your colleagues yesterday at the meeting were trying to suggest, look at you, can't. Uh, this is really no big deal because the work got done, and and they're trying to say, well, this is not nearly as bad as the Red Hill uh, missing report. And I don't think anybody's suggesting that it is, but it is an example of work that should have been done in a timely fashion that apparently wasn't. And and I'm sure that you, in probably in your in-camera session, uh, wanted to get some sort of an answer as to exactly why it took so long to get this work done. Yeah, and I don't have the answer to those questions, and I will be asking, um, I did make that announcement yesterday, uh, that at council, uh, we want to go back into camera, uh, because there were things identified in the original in-camera conversation that uh, uh, we couldn't get into because uh, we didn't identify those as issues when we went into camera in the first place. So now we're correctly going to identify those issues so that we can have the fullness of the conversation around this issue. I, I'm just, as I saw this report, though, Terry, and you, you drive this road all the time, I know, as, as most of us do here in this city. And, and i got to tell you, there are some mornings, uh, especially in the winter, when we've got these gusty winds, and we've had a lot of those in the last little while, and I see those signs, and I'm just saying to myself, boy, I'm glad those things are secured. And now I see this report that talks about things like cracked brackets and trusses and broken welds and loose bolts. So maybe maybe when I was driving under those signs, they weren't secured as much as I thought they would. Uh, so that does tell me that there is some sense of urgency here. Uh, yeah, like, like, I, I'm not disputing uh, the, the concerns that we all have when these things break. I can only rely on the professionalism of, uh, of our staff when they come back and say that there was no imminent danger to the general public uh, you know, unless I have something that says otherwise, I have to believe. Yeah, but this is the same uh, staff that suggested that the you know the work on the Red Hill was no big deal either, and it wasn't the design, and it wasn't the pavement, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and until it was shown that yeah, it is a factor. So uh, I guess there's a credibility issue at play here. Well, and that may be proven out. I mean, the reason why uh, this, this council has asked for public inquiry uh, uh, and, and in its fullness is so that we can uh, make sure all the facts are out there and the general public understand exactly what took place. And, uh, and so I'm not here, and I hope that you're not either, going to prejudge that process and allow that process to unfold. No, not at all. Uh, but I so, can... so the question, when, when you make the point that it was unsafe, uh, that, that's arguable, and I think that will be determined through this public process. Yeah, and I'm not drawing the analogy. All I'm saying is that, that that's an incident where staff... I'm, well, maybe didn't give the full information, didn't go, and council was, I, I, well, some suggest misled. I, and again, the, the report's going to indicate and the inquiry's going to indicate just what happened yeah. and, and who's responsible. And I'm not I'm not going to predict any of that stuff. No, I don't even yeah, want to go there. Yeah, I that's unfold, and that's why we want it, because I think we owe it to the general public for confidence purposes. Uh, I mean, I think the biggest disappointment to this council uh, is that we were not aware of that. So the scenario on the link and the, and the signage is completely uh, different from the aspect that the, uh, uh, the consultant, the staff, you're talking about one report that wasn't acted upon versus one that appeared to be acted upon, but just the timing of the maintenance is in question. Well, and, and that's one of the things that I think needs to be clarified. And I think it's one of the questions I'm certainly hearing from some of my listeners yep. is, is, you know, when staff says, uh, it, you know, it, there was no danger, no apparent danger, 
Uh, but as, as I've told you, it, that depends on, on the conditions, doesn't it? I mean, crack brackets, trusses uh, against these, these are big signs. All you need to do is Google, uh, you know, windblown signs, and, and boy, you're going to get a ton of YouTubes uh, showing where these things do happen, and they crush cars, and they can cause injuries, if not fatalities, and certainly property damage. Uh, yeah. You know, when you've got something that's as heavy as that, and there's a, the possibility of, of the things that are supposed to be holding it up uh, not working to the, to the maximum abilities, you, you do have a concern here. Oh, look, Bill, I, I, and I'm, I'm crediting you and, and, and keeping our feet to the fire on this issue. I mean, the reason I'm asking, uh, you know, when people say, is this going to be a thing done? Well, it's yet to be determined. Uh, it certainly, to me, it appears that uh, uh, somebody wasn't uh, uh, crossing their T's and dot the I's in the context of the implementation of the plan, the capital plan to maintain those in, in uh, uh, what I would say, a timely fashion. That's a concern that I have, and that's why I want to uh, continue this conversation in camera in respect to uh, an area of focus that uh, we couldn't have uh, in the last one because that's not, we didn't, you know how it works. Identifiable individuals, for example. You don't indicate that, and you're just talking about legal libel. Uh, then you can't get into in, uh, identified individuals. Well, now I'm, I'm moving on Friday that we go in uh, to deal with identifiable in- individuals. So you, so you want more detail? You want more information about this? You're not Absolutely. you're not just ready to put this to bed yet? No, that's why I, 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 I sort of noticed uh, uh, last night that, uh, that this is not finished yet. All right, so just to be clear then, I want our listeners to understand exactly what the status of, the, of this topic is right now. You did go into camera about this, but uh, that behind closed doors. Uh, but the discussion there was about legalities and, and liabilities. It was not about personnel. Correct. Okay. Uh, but you want to ask some questions about we, personnel. I, we couldn't do personnel because it wasn't the reason why we went in. Yeah, and, and for matter. those that don't understand, when camera, I know some people just don't like the idea that you guys meet behind closed doors at all, yeah. uh, and they don't understand that there are times when it is absolutely necessary. Uh, but the rules are that if you decide to go into camera on an issue or vote to go into camera on an issue, uh, you have to identify exactly what you're going in there for, and that's all you're allowed to talk about. Uh, and those right. are the rules, and uh, and that's a good rule, by the way. So I'm I'm glad that that was adhered to. But there still seems to be an awful lot of questions, and I, I'm I'm getting the sense from some of the people that have been reporting on this. Uh, they were at the meeting yesterday, Terry, that some of your colleagues are are just happy with the explanation as it is. But clearly, you you want to get deeper into this. Well, I think uh, on all these matters, it becomes uh, um, about public confidence. And uh, and um, when uh, uh, something smells, uh, uh, then I, I think that undermines the confidence of the community. We have a job to uh, uh, put out this now and, and, and be uh, much more transparent. And if mistakes be made, then people know, I think, personally, that people need to understand what uh, mistakes were made, what actions were taken. Uh, so that is preventable and won't happen in the future. I think that's our incumbent responsibility to uh, uh, maintain the confidence. We're not perfect. Uh, no one is. But we better damn well learn from mistakes of the past. Well, and this seems to be coming back now to, to roost, and, and that's one of the things I think a lot of people are concerned about, and it does come down. I think you've, you've, you've underscored this properly. This is a matter of public trust. And, and I want to trust city staff, Terry. I know you, as a counselor, you rely on their expertise, but you also rely on their implementation. So it, it's very you know, comforting to know that the money was set aside to do this work, uh, but it's not really council's job to come back and say, well, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? I mean, you assume that's going to get done. And this was, uh, now I know staff are saying that, yeah, the work is now completed, but it was not done in a timely fashion. And I, I, I know that some people don't want to go down the road of what if, but if, if something did happen and that work was not done, this could have been a much different scenario. 
it better not. It, it can't happen again. Not in this way. Not in this matter. And I think that's a fair, fair uh, criticism. And I think that uh, we owe it to uh, uh, to the general public uh, to better understand what actually transpired here. I mean, at some point, I'm sure that the city manager, Janet Smith, is actually going to sit down with her and say, look, it, you better go start going through the bottom drawers and the desk drawers all over your departments right now and find out if there's any more of these reports that council was not aware of over the last number of years. Because you don't know. I mean, you can't pass opinion. You can't pass judgment on something that's not given to you. And, well, and if, if it's happening on a more frequent basis, then we got a problem. Yeah, I can guarantee after the red mill one, <laughs> that was already be, and direction is already given in space. Uh, this one, I want to make it clear, isn't a report that wasn't uh, uh, taken seriously and, and wasn't uh, uh, a plan wasn't created and money wasn't set aside. It's a little different. The problem is, is the implementation of that maintenance schedule uh, is what is uh, is being called into question. Yeah, and, and if it wasn't done in a timely fashion, and that appears to be the case right now, uh, who made the decision to hold it off? And that that's something I, I know that you can't talk about now, but you can do it behind right. closed doors. Uh, because you're getting into personnel issues, I understand that. Uh, but it's a question I think that needs to be asked in a situation like this. Because uh, I, I understand, you know, when money is allocated for projects, not all of them get done in a timely fashion. But some of those are because of uh, you can't get enough contractors, or there can be another. I, we get all that, but this seemed to be kind of a slam dunk uh, thing that should have been done in a timely fashion, and it wasn't. And well, we have whips too, right? Uh, you know what whips yeah, are? Yeah. Except you said capital side and. And uh, and you have time frames where it's supposed to be done, and 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 then the question is why wasn't it done, and so forth. So I mean, there, there, there are other mechanisms here that is uh, calling into question. Uh, it was there a breakdown, and if there was a breakdown, where was it? What caused it? And what are we doing to fix it? Okay, so you're going to talk about this, and you're going to ask your colleagues to uh, to delve into this again in an in camera session to deal with that this personnel issue. Uh, is there any chance that we, the public, are going to find out any of this information once you do? Well, I think uh, this council is pretty, pretty darn good uh, stepping up the plate on the uh, Red Hill and understanding that trust and confidence is, uh, you don't have that, you got nothing. Uh, so I, 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 I really truly believe that this council wants to do the right thing. Do you have support for your motion on Friday? Yes. Well, we'll be watching the story and uh, waiting to get the information on this. Uh, I appreciate Council's diligence on this, Terry, uh, to try to get right to the bottom of this. And this is not a witch hunt. This is just simply trying to ascertain uh, what didn't happen here, why it didn't happen, and uh, and as you've said, to try to avoid this happening again. Uh, those are, I think, pretty standard uh, requests, you know, from we, the public, and from you, the Council. And I'd, I'd like to think that staff is going to play along here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, like I said, uh, it's a credit to you and and all media organizations to ensure that they, uh, they hold our feet to the fire and ask those tough questions. And I think that's my role, and I think it's our role as counselors to equally uh, put our staff's feet to the fire to ensure that, uh, uh, like I said, uh, I I learned a, a very valuable lesson, uh, and I keep reiterating that in, in camera, out of camera, wherever I can. When you look at the uh, McKean case where they had the uh, the foods, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the challenge with the poisoning or whatever it was in the, in the foods. Wisteria, yeah. Uh, and the lawyer and the lawyers lawyers you know told McCain, "Don't go out there. Don't take admit any fault." He did just the opposite with the lawyers. One, he went out there because it was about public trust. And he said, "We wear full responsibility what took place, and we we need to be better than this." West Mountain Councilor Terry Whitehead, uh, Terry, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate the uh, the insight and the explanation. Thank you. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.
The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.